0: Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Are these girls going to be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die,
1: but we are not men. Grab
0: it, Christi- What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, Her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of Citizen Dame, where we still don't have a tagline, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about. I think that sounds better, right? Turn. <laughs> uh... As always, I'm Kristen Lopez here with the sadly sinus-infected Karen Peterson. Hello. And the healthy Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce is one of the magical few that gets to go to Sundance. So I get to sit here and be jealous. <laughs> it's
2: magical. It really is.
0: Well, <sighs> uh, we will talk about Sundance with somebody who was there, Karen, uh, <laughs> in a second. So... I guess, let's see, do we want to start with Garbage People or do we want to start with Oscar nominations? Actually, no, we're going to start with Garbage People because it's going to segue us into Oscar nominations. <laughs> Plus, Ooh, I always know. like
2: to get Garbage People out of the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so into
0: so many other things. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so, this actually just came out a couple hours ago and I felt the need to throw it out there because it irritated me so much. Alec Baldwin keeps talking.
2: Which right there is irritating enough.
0: Exactly. I don't really understand why Dylan Farrow's name needs to be in his mouth. Um, But it came out uh, earlier this afternoon. It's an article courtesy of The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, And we know that Alec Baldwin is Woody Allen's number one fan. Um, But supposedly he had been asked, I guess, about about uh, Woody Allen and he compared Dylan Farrow to Mayella Yule, where if you have not seen the classic film or read the book To Kill a Mockingbird, Mayella Yule is the poor woman who accuses uh, an African American man of rape, falsely, Um, and he said, he tweeted this, quote, One of the most effective things Dylan Farrow has in her arsenal is the persistence of emotion. Like Mayella in To Kill a Mockingbird, her tears, exhortations, are meant to shame you into belief in her story. But I need more than that before I destroy someone, regardless of their fame. Uh Uh-huh. And he tagged her in this, by the way! Oh my
2: god. Oh dear lord.
0: So, he says, to say that at real Dylan Farrow is telling the truth is to say that her brother Moses Farrow is lying. Which of Mia's kids got the honesty gene and which did not? Oh, my God. Um. Shit. Okay. So, and he says to the people like us who are disgusted with his conduct, he says, quote, If my defense of Woody Allen offend you, it's real simple. Unfollow. Condemn. Move on. Oh. Okay. okay, Good.
2: Let's condemn.
0: (laughs) All right. We can do that. Yes. (laughs) So. dylan farrell actually responded in a very eloquent statement she said uh, considering that mr baldwin confidently invoked May- mayella yule to make his point while forgetting that's it been hotly debated that she was in fact raped by her father demonstrates that perhaps baldwin is just not a stickler for details um <laughs> that's a great or i would i would praise alec baldwin for at least watching the movie because i'm not believing that he ever read the book Um, and this is a man who I'm pretty sure has talked about this movie on his TCM gig, which I love TCM, but when are they, how long are they going to let this shit go on? Hopefully not much longer. Yeah, um, but yeah, he totally misses the point of the character of Mayela in To Kill a Mockingbird on, like, so many levels. Yes, the implication is that she was raped by her father, and B, the fact that she is a white woman accusing a black man during... The time period in which that's set so like dude you didn't go to high school English class (laughs) when you learned about why that that was so uh, like effective and fucked up and oh my god why why does he need why does he even need to talk about this no one even asked him about Woody Allen he went on this Twitter rampage of his own volition Oh my god. I don't even know what to say. Like, I mean, he for some (laughs) reason
2: decided that he needs to defend Woody who he clearly just loves. Um, probably because Woody's pretty much the only director who's hired him more than once, I think. Um, (laughs) and so it's like, he just feels this need to defend Woody Allen, but he just keeps making it worse and worse, which I didn't know was actually possible every time he opens his mouth about it. And it's like, just shut up and go away. Nobody wants to know what you think about any of this, first of all. You know, the guy who yeah, famously yeah. said horrible things about his own daughter. And, you know, it's just. I, 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 I can't. Lauren, yeah. you, say, you say something. No,
1: I, I agree. It's like, I, I don't even know why he keeps on weighing in on this, uh, except that it, it draws attention to himself. And he is one of the few celebrities who actually is loudly defending woody allen i can't think of anyone else who has been this noisy about it there have been a few that just haven't said anything there have been a few that have been like whatever you know but he he's been the loudest about it and you're just like and the, the whole invoking moses pharaoh and being like oh well he says that it didn't happen it's just like yeah it didn't happen to him He's got no fucking idea what
0: happened to his sister. Like, he can't know, because it wasn't him. Well, and let's not ignore the fact that, obviously, Alec Baldwin's putting his own personal bias into this, because he's saying, well, which of her children got the honesty gene? What does that have to do with anything you want to talk about how there's no facts or forensics or evidence you're basing on conjecture that's a personal statement that you're making there saying the fact that a her children are not truthful and b that she has coached her children to not be truthful which is what woody allen's argument was when this happened was that his was that Dylan Farrow had been coached.
1: Well, and that's that's one of the things that uh, I've seen a number of people invoke, people who want to defend Woody Allen, have invoked that same argument, just like, Mia Farrow's not trustworthy, Mia Farrow's, Mia Farrow's crazy, she coached her kids, all of that. And, you know, you can have your own opinions about Mia Farrow as a person, but to say that Dylan Farrow doesn't understand what happened to her um, is it's offensive on so many different levels but it's it's a it's this is an argument that has been repeated numerous times so he's just invoking um a very similar kind of defense of Woody Allen that you know Mia Farrow's crazy therefore we can't believe anything that any of her children say
0: so I'm gonna say what I tweeted which was Alec Baldwin just needs to fuck off like please (laughs) just go away Mm. Nobody cares about your opinion at this point. Um, we all know how you feel. You know, just you do you, man, okay? I don't really care. Um, I I would, I really hope TCM, though, gives him less of a job. Yeah. Um, because he's the one keeping the Robert Osborne flame alive, presumably. Um, I would disagree that was never the case. But at this point, he's just... Such a pointless waste of space. So moving on to uh, the next bit of garbagey news. Um, Woody Allen, speaking of, this is a great segue, his new movie might not actually come out. Um, This is an article that came out courtesy of Page Six. But supposedly Amazon is so... Um, afraid of, you know, having to deal with the fallout. They don't want to deal with the fallout of of working with Woody Allen again. So, based on unnamed sources, the movie might get a very, very limited release or just be dumped on Amazon to stream. Um, So, I find that to be very interesting. We've talked about the machine, you know, that's kind of given Woody Allen this platform and you know why are we giving timothy chalamet shit for not doing you know not saying the right thing but amazon is still giving him money um and now it seems like amazon might not do any of that they're saying that it will either not come out or will get dumped by amazon without any pr or theatrical release um
2: well we have to remember that these woody allen deals with amazon happened under roy price and now he's gone so now they have the opportunity to course correct Yeah. So that's, I think that's part of why Amazon had stuck with it is because of those deals under him. But now he's out of the loop, thankfully. So they can just kind of move on and bury it and not worry about it anymore.
0: So, what what do we see happening with this? Do we think it's just going to go on to Amazon streaming? and that'll be the end of it? Or do you think it won't come out at all? I, I think it'll go to stream. Somebody was saying that it will probably go straight to streaming, but it would get full court press in Europe, because Europeans still really like Woody Allen. Um, I, could, I could see that. I could um, see that happening, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I think this is going to be interesting to see what happens, with both with this film, and there's also been rumors that he's having difficulty um, casting his next film. Which because I, I think finally, yeah, we're finally
0: getting to the point where he's becoming just the actors and you know it kind of begins and ends with them I think which is interesting you know nobody wants to be asked about him so why yeah. not just cut it off at the past by not working with him. Exactly. Well
1: and as, as we've talked about before there's no you know how much benefit is there really to working with Woody Allen anymore I mean he's not he isn't making great films he hasn't been making great films for a while these are not so what are actors actors are going to get a paycheck but it's not their clout is not going to be increased they're not going to get indie cred or anything like that for working with Woody Allen anymore it's it's beginning to seem like what they're going to get is a bunch of headaches right uh even if you don't have moral objections which I I would hope that some of these actors do uh so it'll it'll be interesting
0: I mean, I love my my sweet baby angel Timothy Chalamet, but <laughs> I really don't want to watch this, especially because. And I I've said this before. The last like what three Woody Allen movies I thought were uh, four maybe I wanted to keep saying four, but it could be more than that. Have all been terrible.
2: The last one that was okay was Blue Jasmine, which Blue Jasmine was good. That yeah. one was good. Um, and then before that, it was Midnight in Paris, and yeah. before that, it was and that was 2011 so you've got in the last 10 years you've got two that were good
0: okay so that so yeah Christ, i was gonna say you got midnight, midnight in Society. paris is the last one that i've loved yeah same uh blue blue jasmine is good but it's a remake of streetcar
2: and it's a performance me. piece it's not the film itself the story is fine but it's really about the performances with that one Midnight in Paris, just the complete picture of it is just great, but then you've got what else do you have? You've got Magic in the Moonlight, To Which Roam with see. Love, You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger,
0: That movie is atrocious, Whatever I've seen that works. more than once
2: Vicky Cristina Barcelona uh, that, uh.
1: that's I, I really liked Vicky Cristina Barcelona Yeah, and a lot say. of people I'd... do,
2: I would say that's probably before um, before Midnight in Paris, that's probably the last good one
1: yeah, I mean he he had a co- he had match
2: point, which is uh, yeah. oh I love Matchpoint.
0: point. two thousand five.
2: I'm, I'm looking the at the one thing I'll, I'll here, say yeah.
0: I I miss uh, I liked Woody Allen's weird British phase, and I wish he had kind of kept with it. Yeah, yeah
1: no, I mean Ma- yeah. match point is, I mean, and match point kind of
0: heralded
1: Woody Allen back into the spotlight. It was sort of like mm-hmm. oh Woody Allen is making good movies again. Um, I mean, there's there's no doubt that this man has made some great films. Right.
2: Nobody's uh, questioning the the craft.
1: Yeah. And, and but recently he he really hasn't. And the you know it's been this steady decline of like it's not interesting. You are not getting great performances. We're not getting interesting scripts. We're not getting interesting stories. It's just sort of but, like, you know. So why would an actor want to put themselves in that position now, particularly in this period? Right. Uh, well, the the. It's not worth
2: it. Yeah. The thing is, when you've got someone who's directed like 50 films and written pretty much all of them, too, at some point he's not going to have anything new to say, you know? And so it's like, there's no, there really is no reason. And then when he's got this cloud over him as well, there's no reason for anybody to want to get involved. Not from the acting standpoint, because at this point... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Timothy Chalamet regrets signing up for it now with all the crap that he's gotten from people over the last month or two. You know, everybody who's ever worked with him now is finally getting asked about it, and nobody wants to go through that going forward. But you've also got other people below the line that are just going to be done with it too. You know, they just are ready. I think people are finally ready to just wash their hands of it and just go away from him.
0: Well, moving on to actors who were deciding to bow out gracefully. um, Casey Affleck (laughs) decided that he didn't want to go through people secretly giving him the stink eye, or probably not so secretly, uh, the entire time. Francis um,
1: McDermott punching him in the nose. That's what was (laughs) going to I was going to say
0: him grabbing a Time's Up pin and people being like, wait, 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 what the fuck are you doing? Okay, <laughs> you give that pin back. Okay, um, he's not gonna be at the Oscars. Well, this, he will not be... a oh, one.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say, this played out exactly the way I said it should in order for him to come out looking kind of not like a dick.
0: Because, yeah, so, yeah. people, um, if, if you didn't know, Casey Affleck got accused, um, a couple years ago of sexual harassment. He settled the um, case ten years ago. S- Yes, uh, and since then, he's been persona non grata. Uh, That's despite winning an Oscar just last year for Best Actor. Um, Commonly at the Academy Awards, Best Actor from last year presents Best Actress this year, and vice versa. But because Casey Affleck doesn't want to be asked questions, and because the Academy doesn't want to look like a dunce for having somebody who totally goes against Time's Up uh, giving the award to... Probably Francis McDormand or even even little Sher Sharonin. Okay, nobody wants that. Um, he has decided that he is did he come up with an excuse or did he just say he wasn't gonna show up?
2: He notified the Academy that he will not be there. That's all he said.
0: Okay, so he's it's it's uh the illness I thing. Excuse I'm gonna go oh, with. Um, yeah. He d- he just didn't yeah. come up
2: with an excuse. He's just like, Yep, he just I'm didn't not have coming.
0: Um, so. I was gonna say this is the second time I think in recent weeks that he's come up I think wasn't it the Golden Globes he said he was sick? One of them was an excuse where he said he was was ill. Um, Regardless, he's not going to be there. Um, Karen called this. This was something that I had heard on numerous gossip pages um, saying that he would probably come up with an excuse and or the Academy would ask him to not show up. So take it how you will in terms of who asked who, but he won't be there. And I'm honestly okay with that. Now, mind you, we still have you know, people who are not looking like they're smelling like a rose right now because um, now the tide has turned against Gary Oldman. So, you know, that's still there, but you know, yay! At least the, like, obvious one's not going to be there. How do we feel about this?
1: I mean, this this is a very canny PR move. Uh, I, I agree with Karen that the... It's... it's It almost, you know, to be really cynical about it, it almost seems like, well, he if he figures that if he lies low enough, for long enough, people will forget or people won't pay attention anymore. So, you know, him showing up at the Oscars this year would just be instantly, everybody would be talking about it. Now he said, I'm not going to show up. People have been like, oh, of course we know why. And now we're kind of moving past it. Uh, yeah. So it'll, again, it's one of those that, you know, we, we keep on talking about how, the, how time's up and Me Too and all of that. How far is this going to go and when are, when is it going to start shifting back? is it going to start shifting back uh and this is i mean it's a sm- it's smart for both the academy and for casey affleck uh whether or not this is going to have a long lasting effect is an open question
0: well that's a good segue into the oscar nominations which came out uh on tuesday uh, i don't know about you guys a fairly standard list of nominees. There were not a lot of surprising nominations that were either included or excluded. There was nothing that made me drop my jaw. Was there for you guys? Um I
2: don't think, really. so.
0: I don't not think really. so. Um but this has been a pretty standard even though you know there's been so much discussion about what what is gonna get nominated, what should is could possibly win. This has been a pretty standard year of you know most of the things that have been gaining steam ended up on the list even though not there's no real consensus on via what is one in in every category but um let's go through some of the big ones um we're not going to do all of them unless you guys have have ones that are your faves um but let's start with adapted screenplay which was nominees are mudbound the disaster artist Molly's game call me by your name and logan Logan was about the biggest surprise that we got
2: Yeah, it was a surprise I guess, but I think in recent weeks it looked like the tide was shifting for it just with other nominations it was getting like WGA and everything. So I I think the surprise is the fact that a comic book film managed to get nominated. But yeah. Um, but really, if you look at Logan and what it is and how different it is, it's not particularly surprising.
0: And it is deserved. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say it was deserved. Um, best Cinematography, uh, Bruno Del Delbanel for Darkest Hour, Hoyt Mount Hordema for Dunkirk, Roger Deakins, Always a bridesmaid, Never a Bride for Blade Runner 2049, Dan Lawson for The Shape of Water, and Rachel Morrison for Mudbound First female cinematographer nomination ever in 2018
2: and can i just tell you guys i sound like a total dork when i say this but every time i think about it i get tears in my eyes i was sobbing when she was nom- when her name was announced on tuesday i was so happy because it's ridiculous that it took this long for that stat to fall it's ridiculous yeah. that it's the only category that a woman had never been nominated before and the fact that it happened finally was so awesome and the fact that it was Rachel Morrison who so deserved it for Mudbound it just made it that much better so congratulations to her I'm thrilled.
0: Yeah Yeah. I am I am still shocked. this is one of several kind of firsts and we'll name one of the other uh, ones that that I don't think a lot of people notice I want to say shout out to Sam Coffey for pointing this out we'll get to in a second but there's another first that I was like it's 2018 it's 2018 and we're just now getting a female cinematography nomination like that's so shocking to me but it shouldn't shock me at all you know that's the the sad thing um best original screenplay shape of water three billboards get out the big sick and ladybird was so good to see all of those there um best director Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, and Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. This is what I think everybody was waiting for because they could have gone with either All Males or maybe have given it to Gerwig and not to Peele, but we kind of got everything that we wanted with this category, which was... Uh, uh, is, is Jordan Peele the first African-American nominated for best director no i don't think he is he's not okay so don't quote me on that um but we got we have an african-american nominee and a female nominee like it would have been great to get d reese and combine the two yeah uh, um but you know i i guess we should just be thankful for small favors i don't know but i'm i'm happy this is a solid lineup i mean i haven't seen phantom thread i don't really want to but pta people love him well, the Nolan other, wasn't surprising either. The other
2: thing that's really exciting about this this Best Director lineup is there are only two white men in it. Yeah. Yes. Yay! And I'm pretty sure that's the first time ever that the Best Director lineup has been a minority white men. Yeah. Yay! And one And
1: watch one of them win.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Wait. Yeah. Exactly. We praise this now, and come March fifth, we could be like a fucking white guy took it. Like, what the hell? Yeah, like, I will they're... only um, be
2: mad if it's Paul Thomas Anderson. They're, they're... Well, do do we
0: do we? How many of us are predicting a split? I am not. I am not. Between picture, do, Lauren, do you think someone someone will take picture, but then somebody completely different will take director? I have
1: no idea because the the common. The common wisdom seems to be that there usually isn't a split, but there have been so many splits recently that it's hard to say, like, oh, there's, there's not going to be a split or something like that. But the, the problem is because I, st- I still fear that Three Billboards is going to get Best Picture. Uh, and of See, course, Madonna I do isn't too. Even nominated.
0: Exactly. See, that's one of me- I have so many ways this could go, mm-hmm. and one of those is the Billboards wins Picture, and then they either give it to Gerwig or um del toro as a consolation i don't see peel getting it see i have del toro winning see and that That could you could get shape of water winning both you could get del toro winning uh, director and ladybird winning picture or vice versa i mean there are so many ways that that could play out um best supporting actress uh wesley manville for phantom thread allison janney for i Tanya. Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, and Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. The only surprise there was Manville, who has not had a lot of awards recognition up to this point. I didn't see Phantom Thread, I know you two did. What do we think?
2: It was a good performance for a nothing character. Her character was not developed, (laughs) I don't care what anybody says. It was not developed.
0: Yeah.
1: No, the only
2: she... reason you know her name is because you have to look it up after, because Daniel Day Lewis calls her my little so and so through the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> it's yeah, it
1: it is. It's just like the It's oh, it's the sister. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I have to say she is very good in that part. Uh, she is. I, and I, I do. I was talking with some friends about that film the other day, and I, it is true that there are a bunch of very good performances in that film for a film that I disliked so much which is an odd experience. Um but yeah, I I mean Manville Manville's interesting. I doubt that she's going to get the Oscar. I think that, you know, Allison Janney is probably going to be the one who walks away with it. But um you know, I I feel like it's a deserved nod.
2: Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I I just, you know, side note on Phantom Thread, like I did not like that film. Everybody knows I didn't like that film. But I recognize, even in my review that I wrote for a Word Circuit, I recognize that the, you know, the technical aspects of it are good, the performances are good. The biggest problem I have with it is the story. And oh, gee, where did it not get nominated? Screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, there you I've go. come to the I'm coming to the sinking realization that Laurie Metcalf probably won't win.
2: I could see a path where Janny and Metcalf split. And someone like Manville sneaks in and wins Ooh,
0: yeah. you know what I see well see I see this in the next category which is supporting actor nominees are Sam Rockwell for three billboards Woody Harrelson for three billboards we really went hard on that movie didn't we uh, Christopher Plummer for all the money in the world Willem Dafoe for the Florida project and Richard Jenkins for the shape of water now Everybody asked me if I was pissed that Arby Hammer didn't get nominated. No, I wasn't. I didn't expect him to. <laughs> I'm pissed that Michael Stuhlbarg didn't get it nominated. Yeah. Because, damn it, he deserved it. And I'm th- I'm just going to be blunt. Two of those nominees don't deserve noms. I'm just- Woody Harrelson does not deserve to have his name on here for what? For what? Dying within the first, like, 30 minutes of the movie? I'm sorry, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> um yeah uh, christopher Plummer. we gave it to him because it was just so amazing that he filmed that role in like what a a week um so yeah i feel that those two just uh, Plummer. i got i got why you wanted to reward him because at his age having to do that and step in it's the the message vote harrelson i think rockwell pulled him in um, and the only thing I can hope for is because I was just talking about On the Waterfront for my other podcast, and we were talking about how that year, three supporting actors got nominated from that film, and then we got a massive split to a weirdo, like, fourth winner. Um, all I'm hoping for, I don't I don't think it's going to stop Rockwell. I think Rockwell's going to take it. But I would love a world where it splits, and we give it to, like, Defoe. Or we give it to Jenkins. Do
2: you guys know the last time that two... Best Supporting Actors were nominated for the same film.
0: Ooh, no. is it within the last ten years? Nope. Ooh, and then I'm gonna go seventy-two. No, it's later than that. Oh, uh eighty-eight. A little bit later than that. Ninety-three. <laughs> it was for twenty-six years ago with Harvey Keitel and Ben Kingsley for Bugsy. There you go, Bugsy. That's the one. Wow, and it's for that movie too, Bugsy. Another movie that didn't deserve two of those nominations. <laughs> um, yeah, Stolberg deserved to be in here. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I,
1: I don't know how you get Woody Harrelson in there, but not Stolberg for at least one of his two performance, or he did three, right? Yeah, he's in three. Yeah, yeah,
0: he's in three, yeah, this he's in three, three movies this year that all had serious Oscar potential. He should have been nominated for one in of them. Damn it! In fact
2: weren't all three of his films nominated for best picture best picture yeah. yes they were i think yeah
0: um so yeah that is just the most unfair fucking thing and i stand by this sam rockwell wins for three Bill Wars. i will refer to it as his oscar for charlie's angels <laughs> or galaxy quest pick your pick oh um, galaxy quest um <laughs> fun moving on movie. <laughs> it's great! He's good in it! Um, and he's not racist! Um, I, which, you know, I had to block a lot of people after. Apparently, you know... Oh my god. I will be so happy when I never have to talk about fucking Three Billboards again. I know I said that last episode, but it's still true. Best actor is Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Meryl Streep for The Post, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, Margot Robbie for I, Tonya, and Shershire Ronan for Lady Bird. Do we think this is Frances' to lose?
2: yeah I would yeah, say so
0: Yeah,
2: which yeah. makes me sad because I really want Sally Hawkins to win
0: I really want Shersha Ronan to win I love Sally Ho- and you know again I'm gonna say Meryl Streep it's a bad year if Meryl just got nominated for showing up cause that's all I see her character as in the post just, no, just Meryl Oh, no, I love I, that character yeah, oh, see, I was that. not I was not big on the post at all oh I, man I she's great
1: I really liked the post and and I I actually thought that was one of her best performances in recent years
0: I agree
2: see I'm going to
0: be the voice of dissent I liked her caftans
2: that caftan was amazing but her performance Uh, was great and it was just it really did um, it really to have that performance at the end of this year that we're coming off of was just like yeah women go awesome i love yeah, it. It's it very it was, empowering
1: it was and it's an unusual performance for her too because she's very subdued for a lot of that film and great. it's it's a that she actually has a great character arc it. now i this is one time where looking at the best actress lineup i'm like you know what even though i understand the problems with three billboards francis mcdermott's performance is brilliant in that film uh i am i'd be fine for any of them like any I one of too. them wins and i'm like yay
2: you Go you. I agree with that. I love all of them. I think all of these performances are fantastic, and I'd be happy to see any of them win. I do have my favorite, which I've already said, but I'm happy for any of them.
0: Yeah, I can't. I can't really lie. It'd be great to. I, I just. I don't want three gold boards to get more than it deserves. And really, I would love it if it just got Francis, and that was it. I don't see that happening, but that would be my dream. Yeah. Um, best actor, Daniel Day Lewis for Phantom Thread my sweet baby snowflake timothy chalamet for call me by your name daniel kalula for get out gary oldman for darkest hour and denzel washington for roman j israel esquire we went hard for that movie didn't we i haven't seen it um i think it comes out in a couple weeks so i mean i guess i'm gonna watch it but i i mean it's nice to see denzel but like really that was probably like the one, but again, it's great to see at least you know two two African American males nominated. You know, trying to balance things out a little bit. Are we all Team Oldman I in terms sure of the am. win? Yep.
1: I mean, yeah, he he gives a great performance there. I, I would be surprised if he doesn't win.
0: I'd be surprised if he doesn't win, but you know, I'm I would love to see Timothy Chalamet win. I don't think he will because, once again, the Academy's mantra is that men age into winning. Um, so, you know, the, the youngest best actor is still 29. Um, so I don't see us yes going any lower than that, unfortunately.
2: Well, but, not this year. I think it will happen eventually. but
0: it's, Oh, I think Chalamet will get an Oscar at some point in his career, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think...
2: The thing is, it's hard to compare his role i mean it's hard to compare roles anyway but when you're looking at gary oldman whatever you think of him personally but when you're looking at him in a career best performance in a career of good performances it's hard to say oh we're not gonna give this to him you know
0: my sweet baby snowflake (laughs) 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 and best picture we have we have nine right
2: yes there are nine
0: Can't we just stick with 10, like, do a hard 10 every I year? I
2: want that. I've been saying that since they switched to the sliding scale. It's stupid.
0: <sighs> so, yeah, Shape of Water, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, Three Billboards, Get Out, The Post, Call Me By Your Name, and Lady Bird. Um, essentially every movie that had, like, somewhat decent reviews towards the end of, uh, of the year. Um, I think this marks the first time... Since Silence of the Lambs that a movie released in early in the year in February, which was Get Out got nominated for Best Picture, which mm-hmm. I think is amazing. Um, that people re- we, that we always talk about how pe- the academy assured attention spans and they remembered a movie from February. Um, also,
2: I want to say I think a lot of that has to do with fans who just kept going about it all year and kept it in the conversation.
0: Well, they started. I think one of our first episodes we did was them talking about how early they were starting a campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that helps. Um, also, a genre things. film. I mean, I'm
1: sorry, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: For yeah.
1: for a horror film of that uh, of that subject matter too, to get nominated for best picture is and best director is right. like that's that's remarkable. I mean, I, I I doubt that it will win, but that's really. That's really awesome. It's ni- It's really nice to see um, the Academy actually recognizing films like that.
0: Well, keep in mind, the last time uh, a horror film was nominated, depending on how you classify horror, was uh, eight years ago for Black Swan. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to go further back to actual, like, legit horror, it was 90 for Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Sixth Sense well, is in there, too. I would say Sixth I Six don't really Sense. consider Sixth Sense as horror. I would so say this. yeah, um, but the thing is,
2: like, if you look at Silence of the Lambs, I mean, that's a lot of drama and other stuff too. It's not just a straight horror. Get that's Out true. is a straight horror film. Yeah,
0: I mean, so yeah, so really, then the last one we're going with is What the Exorcist in Probably, seventy yeah. three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um. So let's talk about a couple things people were freaking out about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel uh Daniel Kaluuya and, and Timothy Chalamet, two of the youngest nominees. Uh, in, in for Best Actor, which I thought was really cool, but no Franco. People were saying, "Was this a snub? Did he get snubbed?" I think the consensus is no, because voting closed before this happened before uh, it came was out. Two
2: days after, oh, okay, two the, days after it really hit. But I think that most of the votes had probably already been submitted. So
0: I was going to say that too. I think people had already sent in stuff. Um, I I mean we'll never know if if people like you know there's a conspiracy theory out there right now that oh they he he did get nominated but they didn't want the fallout so they removed him um but everybody that was nominated for actor had just as much logistical sense for being nominated as franco did Mm -hmm. so nobody really came out of left field he
2: very Um, easily franco very easily could have been a very close number six we'll never know it, right, I think exactly. This only proves that he wasn't as much of a lock as a lot of people assumed he was.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um and the biggest thing people are f- literally flipping their shit over is no wonder woman. No wonder woman in any of the categories there is a very well-meaning Twitter account that thought that it should have been nominated for best picture. Did we really think it had a shot at being nominated? I mean, I thought maybe for visual effects, maybe for costumes. I didn't see it going above the line in anything. Yeah, but no. visual,
1: visual effects, definitely. I'm surprised that it didn't get nominated for some of those. Especially, again, given that we had Suicide Squad for Best Makeup. Right. Uh, so it's it's hardly i i'm i'm surprised by i am somewhat surprised by the lack of wonder woman also because and i'm i'm gonna be unpopular saying this i was unimpressed by the script for logan i actually found the wonder woman script much better despite the third act problems the script for logan just isn't that interesting like, it, I, I don't know, I'm just very underwhelmed by that film, so I found it weird that Logan gets a nomination and Wonder Woman doesn't get anything.
2: I agree with you that Wonder Woman is better. I do have a higher opinion of the Logan script, but I think that Wonder Woman's is, is a better one, yes.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, somebody... There's an argument going around that had they pushed it out to 10, Wonder Woman would have been the 10. I don't necessarily agree with that. Does anybody else? I mean, what do we think could have been 10 at that point?
2: Well, I think given the fact that it didn't show up anywhere, it's hard to say that it was going to get a Best Picture nomination without showing up somewhere else.
0: Yeah. um, So, I mean, we love Wonder Woman. um, And some of the greatest actors movies in history have not gotten a nomination for best picture so mm-hmm. you know doesn't mean anything um so moving on uh we had talked about this on our most anticipated but it is the new cloverfield movie god particle or the untitled cloverfield movie depending on how you want to uh discuss it but an interesting article came out this was supposed to come out uh mid-february right
2: It was originally
0: supposed to come out. Um, There had been no marketing for it, and then we were told that it had been pushed out to April. And now the story that is coming out of deadline right now is that Netflix is looking to buy it. Um, And supposedly there will be an ad for it during the Super Bowl um, this weekend. So, you know, this is really interesting because, you know, they, they had it slated for April 20th, the rumor is, is that if Netflix buys it, they're going to drop it quicker. This is the second deal between Paramount and Netflix after um, the whole thing with Annihilation, which it's, it's going to stream on Netflix internationally, um, even though it'll come out to theaters here. And there's really no discussion on what any of this means if it was, you know, Paramount is... Th- the rumor is is that they're very afraid of high-budget sci-fi movies that are not going to make their, their money back. Um, so that's why they're doing this Netflix thing. Um, do we feel this is a benefit for this movie or a detriment?
2: I'm always a little bit concerned about things going to Netflix, not because it says that the quality's bad. I mean, look at Mudbound. But, like, I was having a conversation with a friend recently, and I said, oh, yeah, that movie got bought by Netflix. And she goes, oh, it's going straight to Netflix. And there's this very, um, there just seems to be this this idea that a lot of just average film. Viewers have that if if something's on Netflix first, it didn't go to theaters first. That it's kind of like the modern day version of direct to video. And yeah, well, so I don't know. I mean, maybe more people will see it, but I, I don't know. Maybe I I, would, I you know
1: I would be interested in, in, in just in terms of that. I would be interested in actual viewing numbers. Um, yeah. So you know how so say that a film does go straight to Netflix. How many people actually see it? versus uh and you know and i guess you would it would be hard to measure necessarily but i would be interested to know how many people actually sit down and watch the film um given that there has been this whole argument that you know netflix buries its films which i think that you know there's there's a legitimate argument to be made there uh but then also the other argument is that well actually if it goes straight to streaming then you know it'll get seen by more people more quickly the cloverfield thing it seems kind of odd to send it straight to netflix
2: especially after the last one did so well
1: exactly you know it was such a popular film i mean i don't like the first cloverfield but 10 cloverfield lane is brilliant and a completely different film so mm-hmm. it, it seems weird to to then be like okay now we're gonna put this this next one onto netflix it's a very It's a very odd distribution pattern. I I have no idea what it means, necessarily.
0: Yeah, I always get troubled because, you know, what Karen was saying about Netflix and, and what Lauren was saying about burying their movies, I'm one of those. I have so many options for content that Netflix, you have no idea how many movies I think, oh, yeah, it's on Netflix. I never watch them. You know, I had a couple movies on my most anticipated last year that were Netflix movies I still haven't seen. Just because I there's really little promotion to remind yeah. me that they are there, unless I physically go on to Netflix to remind myself, and I'm like, oh, it'll go on my queue along with like the countless other things that I know are on Netflix. Um, so I always get nervous. I would more than be more than willing to go see this in a the theater. I would too, uh, It's on my most anticipated. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm hoping that maybe this would be something where maybe Netflix is going to. there's there's theories paramount could put this out in theaters and then maybe you know a month later netflix will have it out Um, if this goes straight to netflix I'll try to remember it's there and I'll try to get to it um I just don't know if I will so we shall see Um, but trans transferring over to Sundance Uh, I know Karen has a sinus infection but hopefully she can give us some of her thoughts of uh, what she saw at Sundance this year Oh, I sure
2: can. Thank you. Um, yes, I brought home two, uh, souvenirs from my time in Park City, a sinus infection and brand new brakes for my car. So it was a very exciting, (laughs) uh, very exciting weekend. But, um, because of everything that was going on, I ended up only getting to see seven films, but that was over like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I think that's not too bad. Um, I was supposed to see the Miseducation of Cameron Post on Monday, but I wasn't able to because my car was at the mechanic, and I'm so disappointed Which, because that ended up winning the uh, U.S. Grand Jury Prize uh, for Dramatic Feature, so that was too bad that I missed that one, but I just think that means I get to look forward to seeing it later in the year. So, um, What I did see, let me think, sorry, I should have had my list in front of me. Uh, so, I saw a couple of films on Friday that were good, and I was like, okay, if this is the worst I see of the festival, then this is a great festival. And it turned out that everything just got better each day, so it was awesome. So, I started off with a movie called Blind Spotting, which has already been picked up for distribution. And it's about two guys in Oakland. It's David Diggs and Rafael Casal, who also wrote the film. And they play best friends and they work together basically David plays this guy Colin who has just come off of uh, he's just been released from prison and it fast-forwards to a year later it's three days before the end of his probation he's staying in a halfway house he has all these rules and he's on his way home one night and he he witnesses a, a white police officer shooting an unarmed black man and he ends up like the police are just kind of get out of here, get out of here, they chase him away so he doesn't tell anybody what he saw but uh, it's just showing how it really affects him as the film goes on and so it's an interesting movie because it's built as a comedy and there are like really, really hilarious parts in it and then there's these really dramatic parts to it as well and the two tones really don't ever mesh, it's like I mean it it's kind of jarring in an, in a strange way not even like a oh I'm glad I'm feeling this unpleasantness it's just it it just it felt a little bit messy so that was too bad but it was uh overall it was it was a film that I really enjoyed watching so um yeah and like I said the the funny parts are genuinely hilarious I was laughing out loud hard with the audience so it was it was good I liked that one And then the next one I saw was The Kindergarten Teacher, which stars Maggie Gyllenhaal. And um, that actually won a prize as well. I'm trying to remember. I think it was for directing. Yeah, Uh, directing award, U.S. Dramatic. Sarah Colangelo won. It's Maggie Gyllenhaal. And uh, Gail Garcia Bernal is in it. Um, Some... Uh, some other up-and-coming actors and Maggie Gyllenhaal plays this kindergarten teacher in Staten Island and She's taking this poetry class at like a continuing education program. Gail Garcia Bernal is her teacher and one day she overhears one of the students in her class just citing this poem and she's really taken with it and so she starts she realizes that he's kind of this poetic prodigy and she wants to help him. And so it seems like, oh, it's going to be one of these, like, you know, wonderful teacher, like, inspirational films. But she goes really overboard. And she becomes super obsessed with this kid. And it's fascinating to watch her. And she's, Maggie Gyllenhaal is great in this movie. So um, I I really liked it. Uh, It's interesting to watch... As she just like kind of goes off the deep end into madness. Everyone around the, the supporting cast is great. So that was a lot of, that was an interesting one to watch. So it was, um, it was frustrating because I had to choose between that one and American Animals, which were both screening at the same time. And I was like, well, I'll go see Maggie Gyllenhaal's movie. Well, then American Animals turned out to be like one of the biggest talks of the entire festival. So I was just like, ah, oh, dang it. But I'm actually really glad that I saw The Kindergarten Teacher because everyone's going to be talking about American Animals forever. And I feel like, oh, this way I can kind of cheerlead for Maggie all year long because she's great. So, um, And then Friday night I saw The Rider, which was at a few festivals last year, and but it never apparently never got picked up for distribution, so it's still making the rounds. Um, that's the one that's about a uh cowboy who i think he's in like south dakota he's been thrown he's a um let me call it rodeo he um oh my gosh my brain is starting to go
1: uh ro- just a rodeo rider um
2: yeah like oh yeah he does like broncos like the bucking bronco thing And he gets bucked off of a horse during a rodeo one day, and he gets a head injury. And so the film actually starts where he's already home from the hospital and recovering, so it doesn't go through the accident, although it does show it. But um, it's basically, he's going through the film trying to figure out, like, what does he do with his life now? And um, it's interesting because apparently it's based on a true story, so but it's not a documentary so it's it's interesting because like the main the main guy is this guy Brady um and then his dad is played by his actual dad his sister is played by his actual sister so it's really interesting so um it's it was a little slow for me some people love it and I thought it was good but I thought it was a little too slow but um not terrible I, I remember that. Did you That's, see it?
1: I I didn't see, it, but it was at the New York Film Festival. It's been doing the rounds for a while. I'm surprised that it's made it's all, itself all the way back to Sundance.
2: Yeah, apparently it started at um, I can't remember where, it, which festival it started at. I think it was Cannes. Yeah, it was at Cannes. But apparently now it does have distribution, and it's going to be in theaters in April. Because so, it, it's
1: been nominated for awards and things like that, it just I, I'm surprised that it's still going around festivals.
2: Yeah, like well, it's interesting because yeah, it started last year, but it won't have a qualifying release until this year. So, even though some critics groups put it in for last year, it yeah. if it gets nominated for any Oscars, it'll be for this year because it was not eligible last year. So oh. it's kind of one of those weird things where it's just going to be around for a while, I think. So. Yeah, so that was Friday. Saturday, I saw Lizzie, which Ooh. stars Chloe Savini as Lizzie Borden, and it's fascinating. I really liked it a lot. Um, it's it takes the theory that was posited in a novel in the '80s, where because um, there's so many different theories, of course, about what really happened to the Borden's and everything. Um, but this version, it's that um, that Lizzie was having an affair with the maid, Bridget Sullivan, who's played by Kristen Stewart, and that that was what led to what happened to Lizzie Borden's parents. But uh, this film, I really liked it a lot. I was surprised. It's It's very Victorian, so even though there's this element of what could have gotten down the road of eroticism. It doesn't do that. Like it remembers what time period they're living in. And so even when there are scenes between Lizzie and Bridget, they're very chaste and modest, which I thought was interesting because they're still kind of like, wow, this is kind of hot. But at the same time, it's like, they're fully clothed. Like it was weird. So, um, yeah, I liked it. I thought the performances were, were really good. um, Uh, Kim Dickens is in it too which seemed like a weird casting to me she she plays Lizzie's older sister Emma but uh, she's not in it enough for it to really be a distraction but um, Fiona Shaw and Jamie Sheridan play the parents and they're great I love them so much so Uh, they're they're fantastic and then Dennis O'Hare is in it too as their as the girl's uncle their maternal uncle and he's just like the perfect amount of creepy and like just awful but at the same time you're still like oh but I like him so (laughs) yeah so that was good and then let's see I also saw on Sunday I saw Monsters and Men which is another good one that it's weird because the very first and the very last films I saw of the festival, both involve police shootings and they're both completely different styles of movies. So, um, monsters and men is, uh, also about a police shooting. Um, but it's told from three different perspectives and it's kind of more, it's less about the shooting itself and more about how it affects the people around in the neighborhood. So there's this guy who catches the shooting on, on film, and is trying to decide, like, if he should make it public, and what that will do to him and his family if he does, and then when he does, it shows, like, kind of what, you know, how how that affects him, and then it goes into another officer from the police department who's, like, kind of in this weird situation where he understands that sometimes things escalate, and you can't always know if it's a dangerous situation but at the same time he knows the officer who shot the guy and he's like that guy's bad news so it's it's him struggling with how to deal with this as well and then the other is this young kid who just is from the neighborhood and he's trying to figure out like he's got all these plans for his life but at the same time he wants to get involved and make a difference in his community so he's struggling with that as well so it's a it's an interesting film I felt like it got a little too sentimental toward the end but at the same time it's like what it's trying to accomplish I thought that was fine so that was good and then my two very favorite films that I watched back to back one was called Burden which won the jury pr- or the audience award um, for U.S. dramatic film, and that is uh, oh, it's so good. It's Garrett Hedlund and Forrest Whitaker, Andrea Riseborough, Tom Wilkinson, and Usher Raymond are all in it, and it's um, Garrett Hedlund plays this guy whose parents died when he was young. And he was raised by this, by Tom Wilkinson, who in the film um, was like the local leader of the KKK. And so all the boys that he raised are all KKK. And so that's, that's where Garrett Hedlund's at too. This is all a true story, by the way. The filmmaker, um, Andrew Heckler, he actually went down and spent a month with the real um, uh, Mike Burden and his wife which is who Garrett Hedlund plays in the, in the movie but um, he went down and spent just a lot of time with them getting to know them and their lives and so basically it's just he you know this is his life he's in the KKK at South Carolina he lives in this small town and he falls in love with a girl who's like nope you have to choose me or them and he chooses her over, over this life that he's always known and it ends up being very difficult for him in the process but it's a fantastic film. Garrett Hedlund is amazing. I think that he is an actor that has been overlooked for a while and he's really starting to come up I think and and I think it's going to be fascinating to see where he goes from here cuz he's just he's just he's just a wealth of untapped talent I think. And then Forrest Whitaker is very Forrest Whitaker in this, but he's so likable. Andrea Reis- Riseborough is great. I love her. And Tom Wilkinson is just like, you just want, like, just like Jonathan Banks in Mudbound. Like, you just hate him so much. You just want to punch him <laughs> repeatedly in the face. So. <laughs> and then the very, my very favorite film that I saw at the festival was Blaze, which was directed and writ- co-written by Ethan Hawke. And Blaze is a is also based on a true story it's about blaze foley who was a song writer um part of the texas outlaw music movement in the 80s and he was killed actually in 1989 um tragically but it's um it's a it's a really beautiful film i thought it's it's not a typical biopic um, it, it doesn't really follow like a fully linear pattern, but it really goes through just like some important moments of his life. And and it really gets into his relationship with his wife, Sybil, who actually co-wrote the film with Ethan Hawke and is played in the movie by Alia Shawkat, who is just great. So, um, and then the guy who plays Blaze is... Benjamin Dickey this is his very first film ever and I am just dying of shock because he's so great and um I just I can't believe that was his first film he sings he acts I mean he's he's just fantastic and he actually won a special jury award for achievement in acting so um yeah so that was great it, all of it was good I didn't see anything that I'm like oh dear lord this movie is terrible how'd this get into this festival everything I saw was good or or great so
0: there you have it wow. I am jealous yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah between between uh, what Karen was tweeting and everybody sending me sorry to bother you tweets about that movie's <laughs> premiere I was just like why why does Sundance hate me? Why do, why do I always miss out? Cause like last year I was stuck reading everybody's reactions about Call Me By Your Name. This year I have Karen talking about how she's like rubbing elbows with Ethan Hawke and watching <laughs> movies with Dominic West and then I get to hear about like Army Hammer doing blow in a sarong in a movie and like <laughs> what is going on?
2: Oh Why? my gosh, yes, I literally did sit and watch a movie with Dominic West. <laughs> he wasn't even in it. He wasn't even supposed to be there. That was the craziest part. You <laughs> it know, was it was I, the bur it was Burden. And I'd like just throw my stuff on a chair, I ran out to the restroom, I come back, and he's just sitting in the seat next to me and I'm like, Well, hello. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's like we, He should. goes, Is this the Oslo diaries? I'm like, No, it's Burden He goes, Oh I'm supposed to be at the Oslo Diaries. I'm like, well, you could sit here and watch
0: this instead. So he did. Yeah, see, you're lucky I wasn't there because I'd have, like, totally <laughs> had a creep moment. <laughs> I'd have been like, He was very
2: lovely. We had a very like, nice time.
0: Kind of had a date. sly crush on you since Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm just saying. Just throw that out there. Um, so, yeah, no, Karen is always the person you want to follow around because, as evidenced, from afi last year when we sat with nothing but a pole and a staircase separating us from warren beatty like karen knows where to sit
2: and now i mean as evidence with this dominic west thing like now they find me i don't even have to look for them anymore so there you go
0: or she finds or karen just has a nose for celeb okay like it's true take your pick so i'm I'm excited (laughs) i'm excited for everything that i heard about so moving on um do we want to talk about who brought up this one bit of news here about the the Larry Nasser judge? Is that more Oh, that was it me. Was you? Do you want to throw yeah. out your little
2: shout out real quick? I mean, we're ready Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just want to say that Judge Rosemary Aquilina, I don't think I'm saying your name right, but you are my hero and I love you, and I seriously want her to be the judge for Bill Cosby. Uh, if it ever happens for Harvey Weinstein <laughs> like she's just amazing everything that she said in that sentencing of of Larry Nassar was just phenomenal and it pissed me off so much when all these men started giving her shit for being mean to a guy who m- who molested and abused over 150 young girls so amen she's amazing
0: God, yeah. so let's <laughs> Let's move into some questions and some reviews. Um, we didn't. We thought we had a very small agenda. Turns out we had a lot of things to say. Um, but let's start with. We came up with some questions, stuff that we wanted to talk about. Um, the first thing kind of caused a bit of a stir on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but it was how okay. For, so let's start with the the basic question first. There was a discussion on Twitter about how Lady Bird the movie does not portray poverty accurately. There are Quote unquote," There is a, a contingent of critics who feel that Lady Bird is not poor, the character is not poor, uh, mainly because she has a house and food and, you know, the, the, she's a millennial whose biggest problem is she can't go to NYU for free. Um, which led to a lot of questions of people talking about the working class. I was one of them who said that I definitely believe that Ladybird was accurate in terms of showing paycheck to paycheck living, um, and I got told that I was incorrect. Um, it turned into a big thing. But how do we feel about Lady Bird and its portrayal of socioeconomic status, I guess, in general, before we say, like, it's definitely... I, I think we'd all agree Ladybird is not poverty in the sense that she is inner city like what we kind of know as as poverty like eating out of a dumpster she's not starving but it does open this this question of how we how what we determine apparently now is poverty where do we all fall go ahead lauren (laughs) yeah i'm gonna let lauren start first because yeah lauren seems to always have the answers
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes i have all of the answers i also got into a big fight and wound up blocking several people that i should have blocked long ago um yeah, no, I mean, I I think that the the quibbling about whether or not this is you know cr- uh, this is representative of poverty or something like that I there isn't a hard line between, you know it's only poverty if you're homeless and don't have any food and don't you know, there was some someone talking about it just like, well she can afford shoes and it's like, what <laughs> uh, no, but I I actually do think that this this film, really only represents a view of poorness and of of working class America and of, and of poverty that we don't very often get to see. And it isn't the, um, very visual forms of poverty that you can, you, when you see a homeless person, you understand what poverty looks like. This is a different kind of poverty. This is a, this is the kind of poverty that a lot, even a large majority of Americans have to live with and it's the living paycheck to paycheck it's the knowing that if one thing goes wrong if your daughter breaks her arm if your husband loses his job if you know you know if the fucking refrigerator breaks that you might not be able to have dinner it's shit like that and i think that it's so seldom represented in a really adequate and intelligent way in film and lady bird represents that and it's also this teenager who doesn't know that she that her parents are working class who doesn't know that her parents might be poor like that's part of the dynamic that goes on between Ladybird and her mother is this this constant reiteration of like well but these are the things that i want and it's like these are things you can't have not because i don't want you to have them but because i literally cannot give them to you uh yeah. and and that's such a powerful representation and it's so well done and it's so understated that to then turn around and say like oh no this is just a privileged millennial is quite frankly bullshit and I would continue to call out the critics that are making these kinds of statements it's it's offensive
2: it is offensive
0: yeah. it reminds me there's a really funny clip that I think Jon Stewart used to bring up uh, which was Fox News commentator saying that you know some of these poor people weren't poor because you know two out of three own a refrigerator, and yeah. his whole thing was yeah because apparently you're not poor you know you have to is if you're not eating rotten food you know you're you're definitely not struggling. Um and, and it goes to my second question which is how much does personal experience play into discussing a movie because i can tell you and and what i think a lot of people say when they watch ladybird especially women and the whole thing started with gina rodriguez from jane the virgin saying that she identified with the film's depiction of poverty and i can tell you as somebody who lives in sacramento and was a teenage girl during that time period um you know sacramento is is an interesting place and it's not like you know LA or New York where you would assume most people are you know looks obsessed and it's all about brands um you know parts of Sacramento really believe that they're like up and coming Beverly Hills so you get a lot of emphasis on appearance and I know that people there are countless people in in my town that will forego you know the The necessities in order to keep their house to just make it look like they're having this appearance of everything being fine. And it's not. Um, now, mind you, I understand that that's not poverty in the sense that you're starving and that you're living in a shack with no, you know, furniture, I get that. But as somebody who's grown up with with a you know, single mother who's working two jobs and raising three children, where, you know, losing that paycheck or, having to worry about how you're gonna have your health insurance or, you know, trying to drive a car that that might not work, you know, try, trying to decide if it's worth taking your dog to the vet versus, you know, it's that, that give and take. And I think that people really assume in movies, you know, people were talking about putting this up next to something like the Florida Project, which I've not seen. Um, I think we really assume poverty a, is strictly poverty in an urban setting mm-hmm. which I, I think is something that we really need to look at internally how we view poverty it's you know poverty is not a white problem in cinema it's something that you predominantly see in you know African American cinema the, the ghettoization type of thing um, and I think that that's something people need to look at too um, and we also don't see it as affecting the middle class when Right now, the numbers are saying that the middle class are, like, really dealing with the effects of being, you know, poverty-stricken. I can tell you, as a disabled American, who is not legally allowed to make above the poverty line, um, or else I am at risk of losing my, you know, disabled benefits, it's fucking poverty. Yes, I have shoes, yes, I have more than two pairs of pants, but... Like, I'm legally not allowed to be wealthy unless I can afford to tell the government to go fuck itself, which, unfortunately, I can't right now. Um, so I think—I thought it was a very interesting conversation about a movie that people love. Like, if we're arguing just about whether it depicts poverty or not, like, that's the only thing you can complain about with Lady Bird? Really? Well, what I think is
2: interesting is how this this whole debate popped up anyway, because in this is why I had asked that question— that when the when we were all just talking about it separately, but like no one in the movie ever says, right. "Oh, well, we're poor. This is poverty." They never say that, and so this is people interpreting that from their own perspective, which is what Gina Rodriguez did. And so it's like to me, I I would agree because I grew up in that in a very similar you know, situation where we didn't have much. I didn't get braces because my mom couldn't afford them and my dad wouldn't pay for them, you know? It's like, stuff like that, that we had to do without, that everybody else had. And, you know, whether you want to call that poverty or not, it doesn't matter. It's your personal experience and what you've lived through. Right. And, and I, and I don't think, think and, it's a perfectly valid opinion. So,
0: And none of us were saying that, oh, we have it worse than, you know, some homeless person. That was not the case at right. all. I think that the critics that are arguing only see poverty as black and white. You know, it exactly. has to be yeah. either you're flush or you're starving. Um, there yeah. is no middle ground. So
2: mm-hmm. I yeah. find
0: that to to be very. If final.
2: you have a cupboard to put food in, then clearly you're not poor because
0: yeah, you, you have already have. Whether too much.
2: there's, <laughs> whether have there's food in it or not is irrelevant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and and there was even a point that you know the the conclusion of Lady Bird that the way that Ladybird gets to go to NYU is she doesn't she doesn't go to nyu for free her father no. takes out a second mortgage on their house and this is like someone pointed out on twitter this is before the housing bubble mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is a right. there is a good likelihood that she may have bankrupted her family by yeah. going to nyu and so that that is that's the degree that in order to go to um and i, I don't even think that it's nyu i think that's Barnard, if i remember correctly i don't remember it's like a ver- it's like a University of New York or something like that. I think that's what, that's what they call it. Um, but so you know this this whole idea that this is some kind of a privilege that there there was some something being said about oh she buys vintage clothing. It's just like no no she goes to the Salvation Army to buy a prom dress.
0: Right, right. And, and that's because not she can't afford to go to clothing. the mall. <laughs> no. Well, and I think that people really don't look at what laurie metcalf's character how she acts it goes back to the whole is she abusive you know her issue is that uh, there's a a moment in lady bird where she tells lady bird to pick up her clothes and fold them because if her friends who could hire her dad think that she dresses like a slob then they might say that she's trash and that Mm -hmm. emphasis again on appearance that you are selling your family as somebody who is upwardly mobile and thus worthy of being employable, you know? So, it it comes through in in everything that Laurie Metcalf's character gets frustrated over because they are not financially solid. And the whole point of Lady Bird as a movie is making the character realize that it's not all about her. Mm -hmm. And that there are other things going on in her life that she doesn't even think to know about. So... Mm -hmm. You know, just uh, oh my gosh, I don't even know why we're having this argument on Twitter. Um, so because
2: it's Twitter, it's, and you're supposed to argue about stupid shit. I mean,
0: it's a very odd argument. I do. I think that
1: Gina Rodriguez said so, something similar to what you're saying, Kristen, which is that what she identified within Lady Bird was that that necessity of concealing her poorness, of concealing the fact that she didn't have a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And putting on this front with every with her other friends, with friends that were were wealthier, with friends that were better off, who had families that were more solvent, etc. Um, in order to show that she was like them in some way, and that that's what she identified with in the film, and that's what I think like a lot of people have identified with uh, that this is this is a, it's important to show that on screen that it isn't just it's not abject poverty that is the only thing that affects. People's view of themselves, their view of their families, their view of their own self worth. It's a whole degree of class consciousness that exists in America and that very rarely gets shown in a major film.
0: Exactly. exactly. <sighs> so mm-hmm. um, I'm going to save this last question for when we do our what we've been watching, but I had a discussion with somebody the other day and I mentioned a couple of my favorite movies and. The movies I probably I listed I probably shouldn't have, but I threw out a couple <laughs> of them, and it caused them to say, "Well, wait, you're a female. How can you like that?" So the question becomes, what are some movies you love that cause people to say, "Really?" Um, I will throw out the movies that I was talking about in this conversation. I was talking about how I am a big fan of the '97 remake of Louita. and. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was like, oh, are you fucking kidding? I'm like, no, I'm like, I, you know, I'm a, I'm an Adrian Lyne fan. You know, I, I watched that movie at a formative time in my life. Probably shouldn't have, but I did. And I love the way it's filmed. I'm just like, I'm going on and on. Mind you, none of it was about content, um, which I did say, I think at a certain point, I was like, I love Jeremy Irons. I think he's really great in it, even though he plays like a fucking pervert. Um, pretty much everybody on my list of future husbands has played a pervert at one time so it's not weird um but then i I went on and on about how i was like oh and if you like lolita then you should watch pretty baby pretty baby's a really great movie and i was they were like wait no that's even worse than lolita i know it is okay but i like it um so the question that becomes like what weird movie do you love where you're just like i know it's questionable in terms of like content or subject matter but you like it anyway (laughs)
2: I don't have any of those. All of mine make perfect sense. Oh, thanks, Karen. <laughs> yeah, making you're me look like one. the weirdo. <laughs> um, actually, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to that question. Thanks. I should have said that so before. Right.
0: I threw them out there, and now everybody thinks I'm a freak and weirdo and perv. No, no, no. <laughs> um, oh no.
2: Um, I don't know, Lauren. Do you have any? Uh,
0: well, I
1: I've got. I guess I have a few. I don't know. I don't think... I don't think most of the films that I like as being particularly problematic or anything. One of my favorite films, and has been for a very long time, is Van Helsing.
0: <gasps> yeah. My best friend loves uh, that movie so much.
1: It's... I mean, it's a terrible film. Like, I, I am one of those people that finds a great deal of pleasure in very bad movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so you have to take that with a grain of salt. I love... I. Van Helsing has so much fun. I particularly love Richard Roxborough and his three... as Dracula and his three brides.
0: You and And, my best friend Tila need to talk because, oh my god, that is literally... that's literally her. Like, that's the entire reason (laughs) she loves that movie so much.
1: I mean, it's great, you know, and I do have to say, in terms of, like, just the, the whole aesthetic of that film, Roxborough just... just... he eats the scenery whole. I mean, it's like... (laughs) it's vincent price level ham acting um and he's obviously having a great time so i i adore van helsing uh it's a terrible movie
0: i i will say and this might be a future (laughs) top five question at some point my best friend she's gonna be so mad when i tell her tell the story to everybody my best friend like we all have formative movies that like have weird like sexual awakenings for us. Um, I could say Lolita is definitely one of them for me. Um, although it was the audio book, and I listened to it <laughs> while I was sleeping once and. I woke up the next morning and I was like, "Jeremy Irons is God." Um, yeah, so let's just say it really it really fucked me up. Uh, but my for my best friend, like I, Richard Roxburgh, like made her have feelings, and she did not understand
1: them. I mean, he's I I can I can totally I am right there with her. I totally understand it. I'm gonna send uh, a tweet and connect you two because oh
0: my god! You, <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, the reason why I was thinking of this film again was because someone on on. Twitter had mentioned it, being like, does anyone else like this movie? I'm just like, yes, I do. I love it. I love it. This is the best film. So yeah, I I do have a great deal of warm and fuzzy feelings for Van Helsing that I really probably shouldn't.
2: (laughs) Karen? Um, I think for me, there are just some movies that I like that are really dumb, that's like, in certain circles, it makes perfect sense that I like them, but when I'm talking to, you know, fancy film critic friends, they're like, how can you watch that crap? Stuff like Dumb and Dumber, or basically everything by Adam Sandler. Like, uh, well, I... if we're going off of Dumb, I do have a soft spot
0: for Dude, Where's My Car? Oh my God.
2: I can't tell you how many times I have watched Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. <sighs> yeah, and Billy I Madison is hilarious up every time. Oh my gosh! Yes, every I time.
0: I still quote Billy Madison. That is like that is that is quoted in my house um oh yeah yeah so yeah i'm i again this is uh, this is us okay like you can come up to me and i will tell you about my mutual love of almost famous and lolita and yes they are about on equal footing for me um totally different that magic is behind
2: okay the two of them. <laughs> what I said, and that is okay. And that is
0: okay. Um, I am so trying to write something. Considering Jeremy Irons is turning seventy this year, I want to write something about about the weird movies of his that I have sat through. Um, one of which is is that. Um, but yeah, good times. So let's do uh, a quick what we've been watching because we're still in hell. Nothing good has come out. Um, so and the, and then we can end with the last question that I had. Um. So Karen, what do you, I mean obviously you've been in Sundance, so I mean I don't know if you want to throw in anything additional in terms of what you've been watching.
2: Um well, yesterday because I've been sick and I didn't want to leave my house, I watched the entire fourth season of Grace and Frankie on Woo. Netflix. <laughs> I love that show. Oh, it's so much such a fun. Good show. <laughs> it's it is so it's fun. so good. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh, they have to bring Lisa Kudrow back. I loved her yes. so much." Yes. I love her. The world needs more Lisa Kudrow. So, that's what I watched this week. I also, before I left for Sun Nance, watched The Marvelous Mrs. Mabel. And... Mrs. Maisel. Sorry, I said that wrong. Um, And I loved it, too. I see why it's winning all the awards. Also, so much fun. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say, also, <laughs> woo, yes, I just started watching that, too.
0: <laughs> yay! <laughs> I don't have time for TV. I'm sad trying to do the shows that I... I stick with. Yeah, I am terrible. Um, unless, unless it's got someone I love in it and then I'll like go hard and obsess. Um, like blah.
2: Well, you need to fall in love with Rachel Brosnahan because she's fantastic.
0: I, it's, it's one, it's one of many I have on the list. Like you yell at me about that. Terrence is still on my <laughs> ass, about watching the crown, I mean, Oh, that's
2: so good, too. Yeah. I, st-
0: <laughs> I still have to finish The Leftover Season 3. Like, that's never getting watched. Um, yeah, so I, I'm terrible when it comes to television. Um, Lauren, what have you been watching lately?
1: Well, I've, bef- I- I've been watching quite a few things, actually. But one of the things I do want to give a shout-out to is I just watched Valley of the Dolls.
2: Oh, yeah, my favorite, uh,
1: which I I had not seen. It was one of those. I love Sharon Tate, but I it was I just hadn't seen Valley of the Balls and I'm like, I have to have seen this movie. I adored every insanely terrible minute of it. Like yeah. it, it's it's such a melodramatic soap opera disaster of a film, and I loved it. And and I actually was strangely moved by it in numerous places. I was like, yeah yeah this the world sucks for women
0: <laughs> yeah valley uh, of the dolls is one of my favorite movies um again could be one that raises eyebrows um i love patty duke um yeah. she's so good playing essentially judy garland um i love that she rips susan hayward's hair off so great
1: um that Su- susan hayward you know god what a champion <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly, replacing <laughs> Judy Garland, um, who, who had the role, but then she couldn't get her shit together, um, and got fired. Says so something. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and Sharon Tate has one of my favorite non-PC lines, which actually my friends had the, for, uh, the good fortune to go see this in the Castro in San Francisco, because um, they show it there a lot, and and some of the lines again, because like the depictions of homosexuality in that movie are obviously very dated, and they yeah. love it. She said they love it. They eat it up. Um, and and Sharon Tate has one of my favorite lines in that movie, but it's so like dated. Um, it's the scene where they're in the pool and they're talking about, I think it's about Ted Casablanca, the guy that that Patty Duke is dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sharon Tate just says with a completely straight face. You know how bitchy facts can be. It's the most <laughs> blatant. You're like, oh God, Sharon. But actually my friend said, like, in the castro, they quote that. They think that's hilarious. Um I believe Because it's it. it's played so straightly. I love it. Um so yeah, I'm glad you saw that. It's so good. I have it on Criterion.
1: I I I'm gonna get it on Criterion, honestly. I enjoyed it that much.
0: Um, but the, the other film
1: that I really just wanna do a quick review of because it is the film that this world needs right now is paddington 2 which is honestly like if you haven't seen even if you haven't seen padding the first paddington which is on netflix so you can stream it um but even if you haven't seen it go see paddington 2 all you need to know is that this is a little bear that lives with a family in london who adores him and he is a refugee and this this film is just it's funny it's heartfelt it's one of the happiest films i've seen in a long time and it also made me cry uh it's a perfect answer to you know some of the some of the political shit that we've been talking about the um the issues surrounding immigration and refugees both in america and in britain and particularly around surrounding brexit and surrounding all of the laws that trump is trying to pass all of this this just the film just cuts through all of that and is like no this is about people helping other people and taking care of each other and bringing the stranger into our families. And it's beautiful. It is also very, very funny. Hugh Grant is like, has, has finally reached a point in his career where he's like, this is what I've always wanted to do. He plays like 15 different roles. He's hilarious and he just embraces the total camp of everything that he is doing and for i am someone who has never particularly liked hugh grant and sitting there in the theater i was like i am so charmed right now hugh grant can do anything this is amazing yeah it's it's one of the sweetest and kindest films i've seen in a very long time and is something that i think everybody needs to go see just just to like warm your soul (laughs)
2: I really want to and I fully intended to see it this week but you know I didn't feel like the rest of the audience would want to hear me coughing so well
1: when you feel better go see it it is like chicken soup so you know I'm there I'm
2: so excited I'm so excited
0: so for me um what I've been watching because I'm still going through Ida Lupino's filmography but I did show Mama Lopez call me by your name the other day or today excuse me um she thought it was okay. In other news, the I am—I am. In other news, I am on the search for a new mom. <laughs> um, so, I just kind of like looked at her and I was like, Ugh, "You and Karen and Terrence can hang out, <laughs> like with the people who thought it was just okay." Um, she said that it was a little too long, but that Army Hammer was quote hot. Um, which, I I mean, I guess in the grand scheme of things is really all I wanted her to say. I don't know. Um, she, she, (laughs) she thought it was fine. Her favorite movie of the year was I, Tanya. so I think that says a lot about, you know, her and I, I was like, you know, I find it funny that your favorite movie of the year was, like, a hard, like, serious look at an event in time, and my favorite movies of the year were kind of, like, nostalgic looks back at, like, amorphous feelings, (laughs) um, I think that says a lot about us so we want does she identify
2: with Alice and Janney because
0: that would explain
2: a lot too. <laughs> I
0: don't know. You know oh, I, I hope her. not. I, I know she loved Alice and Janie in that, but um, yeah. Does she have a parrot? She or does, does not. She oh, one? she has a dog. Okay. She has my one of okay. my yeah one of the dogs <laughs> in the house is, is definitely would be on her shoulder if he could. You're probably safe then. So, and then this leads to my last question, which I'll throw out in a second. But because Lauren called it a surrealist masterpiece, <laughs> I and <think> you believed <laughs> me. I had to see what this snowman was all about, um, and I'm gonna try to be as spoilery-free as I can because now I kind of feel like this gift, quote-unquote, much like the the videotape and the ring, needs to be passed on, um, so I
2: feel like Karen needs to watch this now. I'm so down. I was gonna watch it last night, but I just didn't want to go to Redbox.
0: Um, and I got it for free at Redbox, so like, yes, I didn't even pay for this. Um. What the fuck did I watch?
1: <laughs> um, Everything. Everything. Oh my
0: gosh. I, you, I've never <laughs> seen a movie where like 15 to 25% of it is which never filmed. Um, there are scenes in the movie where I was like, that person definitely has just as much right to be the killer as anybody else in this movie. And that includes a small child and a literal <laughs> fucking snowman. Um, just as much sense. <laughs> Just as much sense. Um, I did like how Michael Fassbender seems very interested in making movies where the Bolito is the main weapon of choice between this and the Counselor. And I said at a certain point, the Counselor was better. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I thought that was weird too. Um, I don't know how I felt about its weird misogyny and the fact that it was. like, it had more issues, daddy issues, than a Star Wars film, like, oh my god, um, Fassie could not give a shit about this movie at all, I, I'm literally convinced the camera just followed him around, and, like, when he passed out somewhere, they were like, just film him, just film him, we have nothing better to do, just, there's literally a sex scene that happens where he's just laying on his back, about just, that's it that's it he's not doing any work and and that's it I was like oh god we have come a long way from shame
2: um so you're basically describing exactly how I view Michael Fassbender in yeah general, which is just like so. he does
0: nothing all day just like drink yeah and looks, lay down he looks um, really sad a lot yeah. he looks very sad um the saddest thing for me though is watching Val Kilmer in this movie um yeah and I did do some research that is a different actor completely voicing him Um, the problem that I have is that you couldn't have found somebody that can- sounds like they're in the same, like, tenor of voice as- as Val Kilmer. Like, you- it's- it's so distracting. They might as well have gotten a woman to voice him. And, like, every time his character opens his mouth, it sounds like me. Like, that's how (laughs) weird and jarring it is. Um so yeah it makes no it makes not a damn lick of sense um i can't wait to see it i'm excited i did have <laughs> issues though with its presentation of said snowman there is not a carrot nose or a corncob pipe to be seen well
1: these these are scandinavian snowmen well like, exactly you know. they,
0: I, okay well does that mean they had what tomato noses i don't know what the vegetable in Obviously. scandinavia is um, Obviously. <laughs> um so then that leads to my last question the snowman is a poorly made movie now if you're ranking worst movies of the year how would you rate this would it go above something like blade runner where the subject matter was just so reprehensible to you um how much does a movie being ineptly made trump subject matter being offensive to you in terms of like worst of the year
2: That's actually a really interesting question. Well, and it's something that I really struggled with when uh, it came time to rank Phantom Thread because I despised that movie so much, even though I could recognize that there were things about it that were very well done. But in the end, it was like, to me, this was such a deeply unpleasant experience that I have to consider this one of the worst films I saw of the year, even though on a technical standpoint, it was probably somewhere in the middle as far as quality you know
0: exactly that's what i was i was saying i was like you know this is one of the worst made movies of the year but do i hate it more than i hate something like mother or something like blade runner 2049 or even something like flatliners you know the remake Mm -hmm. of flatliners at least has a beginning middle and end but it is so (laughs) generic and unmemorable and pointless that i would say at least the snowman gets props for being memorable and how poorly it is. Well,
2: and I think this is one of the things that gets lost a lot of times because people will, like, if someone disagrees with a critic, they'll say, you're wrong. Okay, no, my opinion's not wrong. It's my opinion, you know? And and that's the thing is that when we're looking at films and, and... you know, deciding if this is good or bad, that's all based on our personal experiences. It's based on our very subjective opinion. And you know, there's there's no film that's objectively perfect, you know? There's always something that someone's not going to like about it. And so I think it's, you know, for me personally, I I tend to judge a film more on how it makes me feel than the overall, you know, technical aspects of it. So like, Bright for example I listed that as to me the worst film of the year partly because it's really badly made and partly because it just pissed me off because it was just stupid and annoying so you know something like that is a little bit easier but yeah something else like you know Blade Runner or something like Phantom Thread is a little bit more difficult to quantify because of the fact that you can see good things in it too so I, I don't know I'm just talking now.
0: <laughs>
1: Lauren? Uh, I, I mean, I I well I will I, I will kind of go along with Karen on this, I think. Um, I am a big fan of bad movies. And by that, I mean I'm the sort of person who loves sitting down and unironically watching Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like, I oh, love yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, and so, you know, I remember one of my roommates, um back in grad school we passed around he had a dvd of um of a movie de- of deathbed the bed that eats
0: oh yeah i know right? that movie. Oh my gosh. and this, this was a dvd <laughs> that
1: we were passing around our film classes like one of our professors actually was like what are you guys doing and we're just like oh it's my turn to watch deathbed the bed that eats and he was like <laughs> all right uh, so so i i do actually find i find a lot more pleasure in a movie like the snowman than i do in a movie like blade runner despite the fact that yeah absolutely blade runner is technically a a better realized film it's better constructed obviously it has a better script it's um is it better acted you know we can ask that question i think ryan gosling emotes almost as much as michael fassbender uh but it's definitely you know by most by the most subjective or the uh, the most objective measures you can find if you're measuring a film it's a better film um but i did not have as much pleasure watching it as i did with the snowman and this and the snowman was just like this is terrible i'm having a marvelous time with it uh so i i am much more willing to rate something like blade runner which has which I found so offensive and so problematic and so insidious in some of its its nastiness. Partially because it was so well made. Uh, it's such a well made film you're just like, but it has such a terrible message. Uh, and I would much rather sit down and watch The Snowman, which, you know, it, it's got some underlying misogyny, but it's so inept. That it's difficult to even blame it for that. Uh mm-hmm. I, I you would much essentially
0: rather. have described watching me watching Dungeons and Dragons with my friend. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like,
1: I you know I remember going to see 300 in the movie theater when I was in college, me too. <laughs> and I, and I was sitting there like this is great, this is terrible, but it's great. Uh, and again, I was just like, I should be offended, but this is so bad that I can't be offended by it because it's just bad. Uh, yeah I I am much more on that camp so I'm more willing to to downgrade things like Phantom Thread and Blade Runner because I have so many other problems with them as films than I am something like the snowman which I'm just like this is incredibly terrible I am having so much fun watching it
0: (laughs) I will say anybody who feels that the snowman is the worst movie ever go watch showgirls 2 which looks like it's shot on a fucking video camera and then come back to me because at least like The Snowman had a DP and a director and a writer that wasn't writing the script in crayon. Um, So yeah, there's that. Um, Anyone who thinks The
1: Snowman is the worst film ever just hasn't seen enough That's a future
0: top five, like top five shitty movies that we find we can derive some enjoyment from. (laughs) My list would just be Jeremy Irons movies because like there's a lot of (laughs) shitty ones um so yeah that that's gonna take us out of uh, this very long episode um we of course are open to questions suggestions comments you can reach out to our twitter at citizen Dame Pod. um yeah i was gonna double check there you can also uh, contact us now at our official shiny new website which is citizendamepod.com. you can also check out there uh, we do written content as often as we can currently you can read Our weekly top fives that we do as well as lauren's amazingly hilarious review of the snowman profiles we we try to throw up as much good stuff as we can to keep you reading throughout the week um trying to think of anything else we need to promote over the next week army hammer's back on twitter like is everybody as happy about this as i am (laughs) no but i was super excited that tom Cruise is now on instagram (laughs) <laughs> okay so see there's that there's that like tom cruise is on instagram army hammer's been on twitter for like a day and a half and already he's like talking shit to people that talk shit to him he really <laughs> needs a social media manager and i will totally take that job um so yeah i i'm so excited um you can get in touch with <laughs> us at our individual twitters um i am i am at journeys underscore film karen where are you on twitter i am at karen m peterson and lauren
2: I am at LH Business.
0: And Kimberly is at K Pierce six two four. You can also download the podcast uh, a variety of ways, either directly at Citizendame.podbean.com, stitcher radio. Uh, you can also do it listen to it via iTunes, which if you are listening via iTunes, please help the podcast out and leave a rating or a review. Either one uh, would be really great. Anything else that I need to throw out there at the end? I think that's about about it. it. Um, So we will be back next week, hopefully with the uh, full table of dames. But until then, uh, this has been Citizen Dame, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.
1: Hello, window cleaner.
2: (laughs) What is your name? Paddington?
0: Paddington? Yes. You're aware there's a bear or your roof. <laughs>
2: the hunt begins. Mm-hmm. Mysterious things have been happening all over town. I've got to need a
0: foolproof plan. <laughs> Ow. And I haven't broken anything.